When did you feel like your family was first being watched? When I was about um, 14 or 15, um, and I woke up in the middle of the night once, it was like 3 a.m., and right outside my bedroom window on the street, there was a utility worker at 3 a.m. installing something on the streetlight. And I was so frightened, and I remember waking up my mother and telling her, oh my God, there's somebody outside the window um, that I see on the street and they're installing something on the lamp and was really freaked out. And I remember her being not that surprised about it and really calm and just saying, oh, you know, yeah, that's probably the FBI again. Um, and it's okay, don't worry about it and just go back to sleep. You know that feeling when you think someone is watching you? Maybe it's late at night and you're at home and you just get this prickly feeling and you tell yourself you're paranoid, but it sticks there. So you turn on all the lights and loud music to feel safe. Or maybe you turn off all the lights and draw shut all the curtains and check all the locks and crawl into bed and pull one hand out from under the sheet so you can text your friends, the phone glowing bright in the dark. Yeah. I know that feeling. That feeling is fear. That's what Asiya Bunjavi felt a lot growing up. Only she was right. Someone was watching. This wasn't a horror film. Her entire neighborhood, a suburban neighborhood called Bridgeview, south of Chicago, was under FBI surveillance. The neighborhood looks and feels like a standard American small town. Modest houses, wide streets... It's a predominantly Arab-American neighborhood. The center of the community for many people is the mosque. And it's still not clear why the FBI was monitoring the neighborhood during the 1990s. Asiya is now exploring that question and the impact of years-long surveillance on the neighborhood in a film called The Feeling of Being Watched. I talked with Asiya, who's co-directing the film, with Alex Bushy. Growing up, we'd always whisper, even just sitting next to my sister, talking regularly about things that happened during the day. And you think it's the norm because you grew up always whispering. But you hit an age and you realize that there's a reason why we grew up whispering. It's because our conversation's being recorded. People are watching us. So what did it feel like to have that feeling of being watched and to share stories with other kids of potential FBI surveillance? Well, you know, we were kids, and so it was kind of a joke, actually. Uh, it was a funny thing. Like, any time we would see, you know, a stranger in the neighborhood that we didn't recognize, we would all be like, oh, that's probably an FBI agent. You know, sometimes we would go up to the cars that were parked on the street for hours on end, um, facing the mosque or around the neighborhood, and try to talk to these guys that are in the car and, you know, uh, you'd be like, why are you here? And what are you doing in our neighborhood? And, and try to get to the bottom of something, you know, but you know, we never really got any answers. But we kind of, it was kind of a joke, you know, we treated it as a joke. And it's something that's still there that even my younger siblings, my, bro my little brother's 10 years younger than me. And the, the way he talks about it is really similar with his friends. And uh, even the names of the Wi-Fi networks, and this is something that's in the film, 
are kind of like a testament to this inside joke. And all of them, you know, there's so many of them that read things like FBI surveillance van, Wi-Fi network, or the NSA is watching us, Wi-Fi network. So it's like so pervasive, it's kind of banal. You know, it's uh, mundane, it's a bit of a joke. But where does it come from? Why did it happen? Why everyone feels this way? Why is it such a normal thing is the question, you know. What what sort of stories about surveillance did you remember hearing growing up? And and what stories do you still hear today? You hear a lot of stories about the cars parked on the, you know, strange strangers in cars. And this was something that was more in the 90s. Um, people talk about, you know, um, suspicion that their phones are bugged because they hear clicking on the phone, they hear feedback on the phone, or they see utility workers working on the phone lines at strange hours. Um, and then also actual actual um, stories of informants in the neighborhood too. Um, this was something that is that's a part of our story and that happened um, where there, there are actually um, informants working for the FBI that lived in the community and that were part um, of the neighborhood. And uh, all of the suspicion around who was an informant or who might be an informant was also something I remember always talking about. It. People were very suspicious about. So there's really like just a sense of distrust of, um, you know, not knowing who you can trust and where is that coming from. And so in terms of our investigation, one of the things Alex was talking about that we found out when we started digging um, through old court records, through old news stories and microfilm, was that in fact in 1993 the FBI did start an investigation. Um, it was the largest domestic counterterrorism investigation ever conducted before 9-11, and it was in many ways focused on Bridgeview. So we found out that um, all these stories are actually coming from somewhere, that there was in fact an investigation. It was codenamed Operation Vulgar Betrayal. It's another thing that we found out. Operation and Vulgar Betrayal? It's a curious name for an investigation and obviously really piqued our curiosity, you know, like what a name, you know. So, um, you know, we're investigating why this actually happened, but we're really curious as to how it became so big, how an entire community would have been affected by the investigation of, you know, one or two people, um, and how it changed and transformed the community. How, um, you know, I remember very clearly in those early days when it was, we really felt the heat in the neighborhood, that nobody talked to anybody. The mosque, which used to be a place of community and gathering, suddenly turned into a place that people just went to for prayers and left. Um, you know, you would never talk to new people or strange people that you didn't know before. Friends suspected each other of being informants, and so they stopped talking to each other. It was a very strange times, and so the idea is that this really, you know, this extended period of investigation and surveillance has had a profound impact on a very large group of people, and that's the ripple effect. So speaking from a personal standpoint, how do you feel like the feeling of surveillance and being watched for years changed you? Um, I think that, honestly, I'm... I'm, I'm quite paranoid, <laughs> and everybody that grew up in my neighborhood will say that about themselves, that, you know, there's, you know, there's always, you know, I worked on a film, for example, this is where I met Alex, we worked on an HBO documentary film called Manhunt, which was about um, Osama bin Laden and the CIA hunt for bin Laden, and that entire time I worked on the film, I never said the name Osama bin Laden on the phone once. 
not when I was talking with any of the producers or people involved in the film or people that we wanted to interview. I always managed to find a creative way not to say his name on the film. And this was not to say his name on the phone. And this was just this is just conditioning, you know, from the way I grew up. I didn't even think twice about it, but you just don't say certain things on the phone. And this is something that was just kind of hammer, you know, ingrained ingrained into me from the way I grew up. And there are a lot of things like that. Um, you know, there's um, you start to censor yourself. There's some self-censoring that happens, but it's it's just a way of thinking that develops from growing up this way. Um, in terms of effect, I wouldn't say, I mean, in terms of negative effect, I think that's a communal thing. Personally, I wouldn't say that, you know, this this had such a, a negative impact that it, you know, crippled me or had such a terrible effect on me. Um, but it but it made me want to ask questions and, and look into what happened, certainly. Clips from Asiya and Alex's documentary, which is still in the works, are at thefeelingofbeingwatched.com. Thank you.